Are you ready to realize the true potential in your life and help others do the same? Get equipped to create a thriving future with the Secrets of Success podcast. Inspire others to live, lead, and work on purpose. And experience the joy of watching satisfaction and productivity come to life. And now, here's your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. Welcome to the Secrets of Success podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. Well, each week we want to be able to share with you information, and information especially from qualified guests and experts, and today is no exception. Oh, what an awesome colleague I want to call her. I actually want to call her a friend, I think, if she'll permit me, but we got to meet in a author's mind group or... um, what do you call it, Kathy? What was the mastermind group? That's what it was. That's and right. so That's right. I got a chance to meet Dr. Kathy Fry at one of my first meetings, and I was immediately taken by her amazing energy, an MD, an OBGYN. I have to say it slowly. So, Kathy, welcome to the show. Thank you, Ken. It's so great to to be here and to speak with you. Well, we want to serve our listeners, and it's just a delight for you to take some time from your busy schedule. I know you have lots of things going on, and we'll get into that. But before we go, so first of all, you're a medical, you're an MD, a fully trained doctor. Uh, Tell us a little bit about that journey. How did Kathy get into that profession? Where did, where did the passion come for that? Well, when I was about, well, the first thing that happened to me when, uh, when I was, I had polio when I was a kid, I was two and a half. And the first memory I ever had is being in a hospital. And I, uh, fortunately survived that with very little sequela. I was one of the lucky ones, but it made quite an impression on me. And then, uh, when I was about, I don't know, maybe I was about nine, I was reading all these books on nurses, Cherry Ames, student nurse, Sue Barton, civil war nurse, books about Florence Nightingale. And I remember saying to my dad, oh, when I grow up, I want to be a nurse. And my dad, this was in my 19, when I was in 1961, he said to me, well, what would you rather do? change bedpans or do brain surgery? And I said, oh, I'd rather do brain surgery. He goes, well, then don't be a nurse, be a doctor. And when I tell my nurse friends this, they're like really offended. But Of course. So that kind of stuck in my head. And uh, so when I went to college, I started out as a pre-med major. And I found most of the people in the classes were really boring, very competitive. And the, and the material was kind of boring too. You know, chemistry, all, all that, you know, biology, kind of interesting, but not... So what happened was I had a friend who um, introduced me to a humanities class, and I started auditing this class, and I just fell in love with it. So I changed my major to humanities and studied that for three years. And then when I realized, oh, well, how am I going to make a living? I wasn't really interested in teaching. So that's when I went back and did all the prerequisites and went to medical school. And it turned out that when I applied for medical school, they were just in the process of looking for more humanitarian-type people you know, people who are not just scientists or biology majors. They were looking for people with a little bit more well-rounded education. And because I had followed my bliss, which was studying the arts, then I just happened to, you know, I had a, a BA, I have a BA in humanities. So that really turned out to be a plus for me getting into medical school. And so that's how I did it. Wow. And so isn't that interesting how that one little twist eventually helped you in your passion and be able to help other people? 
you know, I think it's really true that when you, you know, when you have this feeling, like I remember sitting in this art in the dark class and uh, my friend said to me, oh, you got to come and hear this guy teach. He's going to give a talk on the paintings of Andy Warhol. So I remember sitting in the back of, this, of the room, this is in the early 70s now, and he had three slide projectors. He went through all the art influences that had influenced Andy Warhol, starting back at the time of the G- Egyptians and the Greeks and through the Middle Ages. And I mean, it was fascinating. And so I had that, uh, a free period, and I would just sit there in the back of the classroom and have a snack and just watch. It was so interesting. And so I think if you just follow your passion, it's like, a, it's like a sign you're getting from the universe that this is really the path you're supposed to take. And even well, though it made no logical sense at the time, but it was something I love to do and I never regret it. And, 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 of course, I teach on life purpose and our intentionality around it and that our life leaves clues. I don't believe we're here by an accident. So we, we have some uh, gifts to deploy. So you went into medicine. So then what, when did you decide that <clears throat> you would be in obstetrics and gynecology and focus on that? Where did that come from? Well, you know, I'm a, um, the oldest of five kids. My parents had five babies within six years. And I was the oldest, and I've always been around babies. I love, you know how some people are just crazy about dogs? You know, mm-hmm. people that are just like nuts about dogs. Well, I am that way about babies. I mean, every time I see a baby, I, it's all, all I can do is just not, you know, stop and pet somebody's baby. I'm just crazy about babies. And so when I got into medical school, um, when I started looking at different uh, specialties, um, and I mean, I almost passed out the first time I saw a baby delivered because, well, it turned out the mother was hemorrhaging. I didn't realize it at the time, but uh, she had an abruption of a placenta. And I remember walking into the room and there's just blood everywhere. I almost passed out. But um, the thing I love about OBGYN is that it's a general, it's a very generalized specialty. You know, you get to take care of, uh, you know, and take care of women take care of babies. Most of the patients that you see are happy and healthy. And women, frankly, are a little bit more committed to their health and well-being and will follow your directions a little bit more than men will. I've noticed that in my specialty. Um, Plus, you get to do surgery. And, you know, now we do, we have all these amazing, um, now that we're doing so much laparoscopic surgery, there's all these great tools and lots and lots of advances in in surgery. and then, so yeah, I just, I've always enjoyed the specialty, but now, but I, so I do both OBGYN and homeopathy. So I became interested in um, holistic medicine when I got into practice. Actually, I'd always been interested in kind of the whole story about what, what causes healing? Why, why do some people get sick and some people get, like you can have two kids in a family they have the same parents, live in the same house, eat the same food, go to the same school, and one child is healthy and one is not. And Which I was actually my next question, Kathy, was, you know, as a, a medical practitioner, and we know that nutrition and preventative sort of health is extremely limited in traditional uh, medical school. Right. So, right. so where, did, where did this sort of passion for preventative, holistic um, approach or strategy come from because probably many of your peers just poo-pooed it when you were first Absolutely. interested in it. You know, it's so true. Well, I've always been interested in this. You know, even before I went to medical school, I was reading books on Chinese medicine and, you know, learning a little bit about, I was kind of fascinated about different kinds of healing practices around in different cultures. And I was fortunate that um, Dr. Andrew Weil was one of my teachers in medical school at the University of Arizona. 
And the funny thing about Andy's classes is everybody used to cut them because they'd be like, oh, this isn't going to be on the test. But I always loved his classes. I found them so interesting. And, you know, he's written so many books on alternative medicine and had traveled at that point so many different places. And I found his classes just fascinating. And then when I got into practice and I realized, wow, you know what? I, I felt like my toolkit, and I, I trained in one of the best medical schools in the country and probably one of the top five OBGYN pregnancies in the, uh, uh, programs in the state. Right. And I trained at a huge place in Virginia, which was the biggest hospital in the state at the time. And we took care of, you know, we delivered 450 babies a month. I mean, we were very, very busy. And right. we saw, when I got out of there, I thought, you know what, there is nothing I'm going to see in Scottsdale, Arizona, where I moved, that is not, that I haven't seen or taken care of or heard about. So I had, I felt really well grounded in my conventional medical training. But when I got into practice, you know, it would be things like, well, all I had to offer people was things like just drugs and surgery. And then you give them medications and then it has side effects and you have to give them more medications to manage the side effects. And so I still kept, you know, digging and digging. And then I discovered the American Holistic Medical Association, and uh, which is a group of physicians. It's now the Academy of Integrative Health and Medicine. Uh, but I went to this, I remember reading a book written by um, Bernie Siegel called of medicine and miracles and on the back of the book jacket it said that bernie with was co-president with um christiane northrop of the american holistic medical association i remember thinking wow what is this so i called his office up at yale and i said well what is this organization they said well it's a group of physicians that are interested in holistic medicine so they gave me the number of the group that uh, was located in seattle at the time and I said, well, do you have meetings? And they're like, yeah, we do. I'm like, well, when? They said, well, we're having one coming up in three weeks in Seattle in February. I mean, I was living in Arizona at the time. So here I go off to Seattle in February for a week. Didn't see the sun for a week. But well, careful. I, I live in the Pacific Northwest now. I know you do. I know you do. But you live in beautiful Vancouver. But you, yeah, I know. That's why you have such great skin because you got that, you know, all that nice moisture. Well, okay. Well, thank um, you. Good recovery, Kathy. Good recovery. <laughs> but I, um, I, uh, but I, you know, I didn't even bother going outside. It was inside the whole time for a whole week. And I, I met Pat Adams, you know, who was there in full clown regalia. And I went on a, um, I went on a vision quest and I learned about, Lots of interesting things about nutrition. I met Jeffrey Bland, who's um, the started a company called Metagenics and teach all about nutrition and bio, you know, how biochemistry applies to nutrition. Mm. And I, so I started going back every year, and then one thing led to another. I was on their board, and then I was their president for three years. And uh, it was kind of how, where I got my holistic education. So I was learning all these great things. I'd go to these meetings and then I'd come back home and I would try these different things with my patients, but I felt like it was kind of a shadow a gun approach. I'd learn a little bit of this and a little bit of that, but I met all the leaders of, you know, forward thinkers in holistic medicine, like Deepak Chopra and Wayne Dyer and, you know, uh, David Perlmutter, all these people would come to these, um, Chris Northrup, they'd come to our, you know, our meetings or they would be actually on our board. And so I was learning an awful lot, but I thought, all right, I need, I need something that I can learn that I can apply uniform for everything that's going to work. And so right before I went to uh, an AHMA meeting, I think it was in February of 1999 or maybe 98, I made a little prayer and I said, okay, God, show me a system that if you were sick and you were in a human body, what would you use to get well? 
And mm-hmm. so I went with that. I went off to the HMA meeting, and I I was giving I was giving a talk on uh, bioidentical hormone therapy, right. and I happened to go and sit in the back of the room where I was going to speak, you know, the next hour. And there happened to be this woman speaking ahead of me who was talking about homeopathy and something in my gut said, Oh, this is it. Mm. So I said to her, well, you do you teach this? And she said, yes. I said, where? And she said in three weeks, where? I said, she said, Los Angeles. So I started flying back and forth one weekend a month for a year, Phoenix to LA. And then I studied with her uh, a second year, um, and I studied with her every other month for five days and kind of immersed myself in the practice of homeopathy. And then I would start coming back and using it with my pra- in my practice. And um, so that completely, you know, blew the blinders off. I was able to help people with things I had never been able to help people with before. Things well, like- let me just stop you there for a moment, Kathy. Because, uh-huh. uh, you know, you and I are sort of of the same cloth around holistic um, you know, integrated um, mm-hmm. medicine. Why so much pushback? Why in our culture? Uh, so, you know, if you go through the traditional kind of place, they would just call people that think about this as quacks. It's not, the, right. there's not a lot of uh, credence. Now, I don't believe it, and I have what I believe are some of the reasons, but in your experience, What's going on that uh, these natural don't harm you in any way um, processes and uh, healing methods are so much attacked from the mainstream sort of medical schools? What's going on? One word, money. Money. When you, money. When you go into medical school from the beginning, basically you're exposed to the whole idea that every disease is treated with pharmaceutical drugs. And if you think about it, you know, the power of, the, of big pharma is so big that they would love to have every person on the planet to be on two, three, five, eight meds every day for the rest of their life because it makes a lot of money. But almost every doctor that you talk with over time, they'd have, if they're honest, they'll, they'll admit that there have been times when they've not either, either not been able to help somebody with a medi- by giving them a medication or there have been lots of side effects where the medications made them worse. But the problem is, is that we're indoctrinated from the time we uh, start medical school that this is the way to go, that a symptom is something that needs to be suppressed with a drug. And that, you know, if this hurts, then you take something for that. And that there's for every symptom that there's a medication to be taken. And But if that were true, if health came in a pill, then the healthiest people would be on the most medications. And we know that's not true. Well, that's an interesting point for the listeners. If medication really worked, then the healthiest people would be the people who are taking it. And we know that that really is the opposite Exactly. Especially in the U.S. and Canada, I can't speak for the rest of my listeners around the world, but we I, know in the developed countries just the push around that in the marketing, in the promotion towards doctors, it's right. just incessant, isn't it? It is because it's big money, you know. There's and you notice that there's always there's always the newest, brightest, shiniest new drug that's being promoted. You know, medications like aspirin that have been around for hundreds of years. Well, nobody's really promoting that. Instead, they're promoting Celebrex or, you know, other, other medications. And, but they only push them for seven years while they're on patents and generic. 
And once they go generic, then you never hear about these drugs anymore. And the, and the pharmaceutical um, reps who come into our offices are always trying to push you on the next greatest, latest thing. And I'm like, well, what about the last drug that we had that was, well, this is even better. Well, for, but in, and inevitably, it's, you know, three times the cost. Mm. And of course, yeah, and like you said, the uh, the money that goes with it. So where does where does the you know there's these governing bodies, and it's actually particularly the worst in the U.S. where they threaten doctors for using uh, non-prescribed like natural treatments. Where where does that come into the money side? Because these bodies are supposed to be independent. Well, but you know the FDA example is uh, that a lot of the research that is um, that is done into new medications is paid for by pharmaceutical companies. It's not it's not supported by the United States government. So the there is the the um, the entanglement between the FDA and big pharma is huge. And so a lot of people who are on boards of the FDA or come from you know they come from the pharmaceutical business. And so they already have this mindset that what we do, double-blind, placebo, randomized, controlled studies, is the only, it's the only gold standard. Well, most of the time, those, most of those drugs, if they're tested on, you know, 300 people, it's considered a big study. And then once you release those drugs out into the mass market and millions start taking them, that's when you see the side effects. And, and um, there's a lot of times where later on, there are long-term side effects that are discovered as yeah. part of it. So I just wanted, with your, you being an MD, because lots of times people say, well, you know, that person, it's a naturopathic doctor, and they don't really, they don't come from the real traditional, but you do. And so right. I wanted the listeners just to really to hear it from you. So Kathy, with that, you now transitioned over doing both and really being a gifted MD and practitioner and now you're going into this holistic side. Let's just share with the listeners some of the things that you've learned, some of the strategies. I'm now your patient, and you're advising me on wellness and health as best mm-hmm. as you can in a generic format. What, what does that look like to you? What would you say to me? Well, the thing that I do, when, when, for, like with a new client, uh, and I take care of people all over the world via Skype and on the phone. And because the nice thing about doing homeopathy, which is what I do, so I incorporated that into my OBGYN practice. So all of my surgical patients all got homeopathic remedies. Before they went to the hospital, I told them, uh, I gave them a list of remedies to take with them to the hospital. I told them how to take it, you know, when the nurse looking, what to take. And then by giving them homeopathic remedies, they oftentimes went home sooner. They had much less bleeding. They had much less infection. The complication rate was much, much less. And they would recover from anesthesia much faster because there were remedies to help them recover from all of those things. So I started incorporating that into my practice. Well, as I became more and more skilled as a homeopath, then all of a sudden I realized, wait a minute. I, you know, I would take women's uteruses out if they would have abnormal bleeding, for example. Mm-hmm. First, you try them on medications, and if the medications don't work, then or they have big fibroids, then you take them, then you take their uterus out. And I would consistently have my patients tell me, you know, they I do their hysterectomy, and they'd come back six months later, and I'd say, so how are you doing? And they'd say, well, I'm not bleeding anymore. I'm like, well, yeah, we took care of that, but 
I have gained weight and I can't lose it. I have no sex drive. I'm really tired. I don't sleep. I'm losing hair. I'm depressed. And I would hear this over and over and over again. And I never, there was nothing in the OBGYN literature to explain this, but my patients would tell me this over and over and over again. Mm. And so it wasn't, I became a homeopath that I realized what I was doing to my patients by taking their organs out, removing their uterus, and in some type cases, their ovaries, what I was doing is putting a big hole in their chi field. That's kind of how the Chinese think about it. You're right. basically disrupting the normal energetic flow that runs through all those organs. Um, and so once I became a homeopath and I realized how bad it was to take their organs out, how suppressive it was, then I basically had to give up the practice of surgery, which I loved. I really liked doing it. And I'm good at it. I have really good hands. I'm a knitter. You know, I love doing things with my hands. And we have all these great instruments and, you know, great bells and whistles, and it was really fun. You know, there's nothing like opening somebody up who is in pain and things are a mess in there. And by the time you finish, it makes it nice and neat, and they don't have pain anymore and no more bleeding. But once I realized how bad it was for their overall health, that I thought, all right, so I need to figure out a way to, to stop their bleeding without having to take their organs out. And so then I would just take their case. So a woman comes in and she sits down and she tells me her life story. And oftentimes the women that I would see as an OBGYN who'd have lots of hormonal problems, I'd see this a lot with young people and I talk about one of a case history like this in my current book, of a woman who had lots and lots of problems from the time she started puberty. You know, she had horrible periods, so they put her on birth control pills starting at like the age of 13, and then she developed lots of other different problems, and then when she wanted to go and get pregnant, she had infertility, so they put her on more, more hormones to try to get that, and so she had this whole lifetime of chronic obstetrical problems uh, and gynecological problems, and once I figured out what remedy she needed and I started her on the remedy, then I was able to restore her to a place of health where her periods, uh, well, actually at this point, her, um, somebody had taken the uterus out already, and so then she had um, suffered with fatigue and depression and so on. And so by taking her case and figuring out what remedy she needed, I gave her a homeopathic remedy that stimulates the body's ability to heal itself and to restore her vital force to health. And so that's what I focus on now is trying to figure out the language of people's vital force. And the language that their vital force communicates with is through their symptoms. And it's interesting, you know, a lot of times um, standard medicine wants to treat the symptom but not the root cause, the, the creator of it, the what right. is contributing to it. And, you know, it is quite amazing and as a business consultant we always or I I actually have a diploma in nutrition and genetics and we oh. you always go back to what were the contributing well the the status what was going on to contribute to the condition that the individuals had so now and I have right here in front of my desk as we have this interview I have one of your books vitality how to get it and keep it and so you put in that book some of uh, the remedies that people could just access, look at, uh, that they would, um, I mean, there's literally hundreds of them, but you were able to put a summary together there now. So if I'm an individual and you're working with me beyond what you've said so far, Kathy, 
what would be some additional steps I might take on my own and or with you? We'll make sure that they know how to get a hold of you at the end of the show. Um, I might take to kind of own my own wellness levels. Right. Well, that's the beautiful thing about homeopathy is that if you live uh, any place that has a health food store near you or you have a computer where you can order them online, there are about 60 homeopathic remedies that are available. We'll have about, overall, we have 5,000 remedies, but there's about 60 remedies that are sold in most health food stores in the U.S. and Canada put together by a company called Boyron. And those 60 remedies are remedies that cover about 60 different conditions, everything from allergies, colds, flu, food poisoning, ear infections, bladder infections, uh, sprained ankles, uh, motion sickness, altitude sickness. And so I wrote a second book called What's the Remedy for That?, where I went through every single one of those remedies and all the conditions they cover and said, okay, let's say you're standing in the health food store. You're a mom with a colicky baby and your poor baby, you know, you have to drive him around the car to get him to go to sleep or you put him on the dryer to get him to go to sleep because they have such bad colic. And there's two homeopathic remedies available over the counter. Well, how do you know which remedy to take? Which is the right remedy for your colicky baby? Well, in my book, I talk about, well, you just give them the, the um, water bottle test. So if you put a hot water bottle on the baby's tummy and the baby likes it, then they need one remedy. If the baby doesn't like it and it's aggravated by that heat, then it needs a different remedy. So very practical things that people can use for common stuff. Like if you have allergies, let's say, you know, whatever is blooming when the trees bloom and your eyes are itching and you're sneezing like crazy and your nose is stuffed up, there's a remedy called euphrasia. And that's the remedy you take if your eyeballs are itching and you're sneezing. Well, if your eyeballs are tearing and burning and running, that's a different remedy. So those are the kinds of very practical things I went through in the book. And so people can read the book, go to the health food store, and just take the remedies. I went through in detail how to take them, how often to take them. Do you need to take one? Do you need to take ten? How often do you take them? And so on. And that's a way that a step-by-step thing that people can do they can uh, save themselves time having to go to the doctor and not having to take chronic allergy medication because what homeopathy does, instead of suppressing the symptoms, it restores your body to balance and so then your symptoms go away because those symptoms are just a cry for help from your vital force. Your vital now, force I, I do want to mention, to Kathy, sorry to interrupt, that your book, What's the Remedy for That?, uh, is a Amazon bestseller. So congratulations on achieving that. And so if people want to get that book, they can go online right now or right at the end of the show and be able to access that from Amazon, you know, called What's the Remedy for That? So congratulations on Kathy on successfully being an Amazon bestseller. Thank you. That was really fun to do. I, I, I have to thank my patients. My patients me to write this book. You know, all my patients that, uh, that I take, and I take care of people with for all kinds of things, chronic fatigue, fibromyalgia, depression, ADD, ADHD. Uh, I take care of a young girl who's 11 and still wets the bed, which came on as a result of a whole bunch of vaccinations, which was interesting. Um, and so we started on a remedy that's good for problems after vaccination and the bedwetting has stopped, which has really been wonderful. So well, Kathy, uh, we, you know, we've already been controversial in this show, so let's just continue it <laughs> a little bit. You just mentioned something about uh, vaccination. Vaccination. So and, let's think Auntie, about- and so just, let, I'm just going to set it up 
for the listeners. You know, anti-vaxxers are shown as like people without brains. They're stupid, mm. that they're idiots. And uh, there's all this research that, you know, vaccination is safe. However, the reality has been, as the research is not clear, the Italian government has actually linked vaccination with autism officially through the courts. So uh, we're behind in North America, and Europe now is restricting it. So uh, share this highly um, charged conversation where people are not sane in their discussions whatsoever about vaccinations and just the dynamics that's going on there. But uh, I have some opinions I'll add, and you'll clarify as the medical expert. But just share with the audience the dynamics that's going on there. Well, how I got interested in this is I would see uh, my patients who would come in, you know, I deliver their babies and then, you know, watch them over the years and see their kids growing up. And I can't tell you how many patients who would come to me would tell me that their child had autism. And I would say, what happened? And invariably, I would hear this story of, well, he was fine until he was two. And then he got six vaccines in one day. He had a high fever. He cried all night. He's been irritable, and I had one child who stopped talking. You know, he had just started to develop his language and didn't speak. He was very bright, and he didn't speak until we started on him on a homeopathic remedy, and then he started to speak. So um, when you think about it, the thing that I think that the piece that people are missing when they talk about vaccinations is the energetic piece. You know, there's everything that God created in the world has a physical component as well as an energetic component. So when you think about the energy of diphtheria, for example, you know, that's a a bacteria that causes a horrible swelling of membrane in the throat and Mm. suffocation. And um, so when you, when you inject a child with the energy, with the vaccine, you're giving them the energy of something that causes illness. So when you vaccinate your, your baby who's in the States, there's this push to vaccinate babies at 24 hours of age before they come home with the hepatitis B vaccine. Now, your baby is not a drug addict and not a surgeon, and, so, and it's not sharing needles with someone. So your baby is the, probably the lowest person at risk for hepatitis B. But the reason that they are trying to vaccinate babies at 24 hours of age is they're trying to eradicate hepatitis. They think they can eradicate it by vaccinating babies. And so they put these babies whose immune systems are not even fully developed yet, and then they inject them with something the energy of which causes cancer of the liver. So intuitively, it just makes no sense. And then if you look at the vaccines that people are getting now, kids are getting many, many more vaccines than they ever used to get. You know, when you and I were growing up, we got maybe, I don't know, four or five. And my son grew, and I vaccinated my son because I didn't know any differently, and he probably got 10 or 12. Nowadays, by the time a child um, has reached the age of about six, they will have taken eight vaccines. They will have taken like 48 doses of 16 vaccines if you follow the um, recommendations of the American Academy of Pediatrics. And I'll tell you for your viewers, if they're interested in one of the best books about this, it's a book called Natural Baby, Healthy Child. And it's written by Dr. Murray Clark, who is he's a Chinese medicine doctor. He's an naturopath and a homeopath, and he's brilliant. And he, um, the chapter on vaccination is worth the cost of the book. And he goes through all the reasons, not only the, um, the um, things that are contained in the, in the vaccines besides the, because it's not just the, um, 
it's not just the, the uh, preservative that's in the vaccine or the fact that it's got mercury in it. It's the number of vaccines that kids are getting all at one time. And so he says, if you're really insisting on vaccinating your child, there is actually a, a, a better way to figure out which, re- which vaccines they absolutely need. And you can, um, you know, put them on a vaccination schedule where maybe they're getting one vaccine. Like I have a three-year-old grandson. And um, I'm thinking if, you know, if my kids were going to take him out of the country, if he was someplace where polio was endemic, then I would suggest maybe he would have polio vaccine. That would be the only one I would recommend. I certainly wouldn't recommend he get vaccinated for chicken pox or hepatitis, things that he's not at risk for. And the worst thing, what's the worst thing that happens if you get chicken pox? You get a bad rash, you know? Well, it's interesting, um, Kathy, where uh, one of my colleagues, a good friend, uh, he's a PhD as well, so very well-read. He said, well, you know, people that don't give vaccines should be jailed. And uh, isn't that interesting how how far the conversation has gone and that people don't really realize, um, you know, one of my comments around this, Kathy, is if vaccines are so good, how come they're asking for more boosters, more boosters, more boosters? Right, right. It's obviously not working. So what I'm going to do is and now the other side is big pharma is behind it, right? So if I can get the protocol to have another booster, somebody else is making some money on it again. Well, here's the other kind of nasty story that I hate to say. This is a dirty little secret that most doctors you won't know. But, but if you as a pediatrician, um, you can buy the vaccines at a little bit above cost and then your insurance companies will reimburse maybe double the rate for that. So there is a, a financial incentive for doctors to vaccinate as well. Now, I'm not saying that that's true for all doctors because I know the doctors who are really insistent on vaccination that they, you know, would, would take umbrage at that, and I'm not saying that they're all like that. But here's the other thing. The beautiful thing I've discovered about homeopathy is that I just recently, not too long ago, took care of a child who had whooping cough and was able to treat homeopathically for whooping cough because there's remedies for that. Now, it's not something you can do yourself over the counter, but if you have a good uh, homeopath who knows what they're doing, you can take, they can treat you for these conditions that, that normally people say you only can get um, vaccinations from. You know, here's the thing from Murray's book. I just wanted to tell you this. If a child were to get all of the vaccines recommended by the American Academy of Pediatrics, he or she would receive an average of 32 vaccinations by the age of two years, and by the time they're five, they would get 43 vaccinations. A quarter of a century ago, only 11 vaccinations were given by the age of five, and 50 years ago, just five vaccines were given. I don't think it's an accident that we're, you know, when you and I were growing up, we didn't see one out of every 10 kids with ADD and ADHD. We didn't see one out of what, eight kids with autism. I'm not sure if that's the exact number. Somebody can correct me on that. But we don't see the, we didn't see, you know, ADHD and autism like we do. And I think it's because not only the number of vaccinations, but what the, primarily the number they give them, and they give them all at once. And that leaves, it, it overwhelms the vital force. It overwhelms the body's ability to um, heal itself. Mm. Well, I just wanted to delve into it and be controversial for everybody that's out there. And, you know, I was vaccinated when I was a kid, but like you said, it was probably a half dozen, maybe eight by the time right. I got to uh, grade three or four or five, whatever it was. Right. Uh, I hated it. I do remember getting a couple of needles and that was it. But um, You know what I remember was I had just 
I had polio when I was three. I was in a hospital for, pol- for children with polio at Sister Kinney Hospital in Los Angeles. And I was in the hospital for three months, paralyzed from the waist down, and I got physical therapy. And fortunately, I survived and thrived. And I have, very, I have one leg a little smaller than the other, but if, if you don't notice, I, don't, yeah, I have to point it out to people to note, for them to notice it. But even after I had had polio myself and I was obviously immune, they gave me polio vaccine when I was a kid. I got vaccinated again, even though I'd had the disease. That made no sense. <laughs> well, you weren't a doctor to say no at that time, were you? No, that's right. I wasn't. And, you know, if you knew my father, he'd be like, sweetheart, shut up, open your mouth. Well, fair enough. Well, Kathy, we have about five or six minutes left in the show. Wow. What, what can you share? Doesn't it go fast, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we'll get your information here in a minute. And, in fact, let's just do that now. If people want to reach out to you or find out about your book or your services or Skype in and say, hey, I want to uh, access Kathy and get some of my symptoms treated or maybe I have a child that has some things that I want to address how might they uh, find out about you? Oh, they can just go to my website, drkathyfry.com. And uh, there's my... You want to spell that? Because there. Kathy is spelled different ways. Yeah, it's K-A-T-H-I-F-R-Y.com, drkathyfry.com. And my, uh, they can send me an email. They can call me on the phone. And um, like I said, I take care of people all over the world via Skype. And the nice thing about doing homeopathy is I don't have to do a physical exam or draw blood in order to figure out what, how to help people. What, how I figure it out is by them telling me the story of their lives. Mm. Well, it's interesting, Kathy, uh, and you've alluded to it a little bit, but isn't it interesting that uh, your humanities is coming back to bear directly into how you are treating people? I suspect so there, for a lot of these individuals, their condition is an emotionally charged situation as much of which is manifesting itself physically. Is that correct? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, you can have, let's say something simple like headaches. You can have 20 people with headaches and they each need a different remedy because the person who needs, the person who fell off the, um, fell off the jungle gym and sprained their neck when they were a young age and had headaches ever since is going to be, uh, need a different remedy than the person who developed headaches after she was molested as a child or somebody else who developed headaches after they had a parent at a young age. All of those things are important because, um, so the beautiful thing about homeopathy is that you treat each person individually. Mm. So uh, again, holistic approach. So if you right. were to <clears throat> share just wisdom as a med- medical expert, for people for wellness in their life, what would be, you know, a handful of sort of tips that you would share with the listeners that they can take away from today's show? So I would say the first thing would be number one um, is gratitude. Be as be, to have that feeling of gratitude and looking around at the world and. We tend to sometimes look at what's wrong with the world or what's, you know, we look, listen to the newspaper and read the newspaper and listen to the news about all the horrible things going on in the world. But if you really look and realize just when you wake up in the morning how great it feels to have a good night's sleep and that you've got a roof over your head, you're surrounded by people who love you, there's food in the refrigerator, you're going to hopefully go out and do work that you love to do. There are so many things to be grateful for. And I think that feeling of appreciation for who you are and what you have is probably one of the cornerstones of health because that's a, 
all, all health starts basically energetically. So if you're vibrating in that place of appreciation and gratitude, then that's a much higher va- uh, vibration than if you're like, oh, woe is me and life sucks and so on. Besides, nobody wants mm. to be around people like that, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. So that's the first thing. And then the second thing, of course, is to be out in nature as much as you can. Be active. Take a walk every day, even if it's just 15 minutes around the parking lot at work. Um, that's the number two thing I would say. Number three, of course, has got to be nutrition. And everybody can argue about what, you know, what you should eat and what you shouldn't eat and so on. I tell people you should experiment for yourself and pay attention to how you feel when you eat things. Like I'm a blood type A. I really should be a vegetarian. I could not get through a morning of surgery if I had just, if I was just a vegetarian. I lasted as a vegetarian for two days. But when I went on the paleo diet, I feel really great on a paleo diet. Mm. So for me, that seems to work better. Other people, they can get by with eating, you know, beans and rice and beans and tortillas and not a problem, but that doesn't work for me. So, but eating good, healthy food and of course the healthier food you can get if you can get it that hasn't been sprayed with pesticides or you can, you know, eat uh, eggs that are from, you know, freshly raised chickens and uh, beef that's that's, uh, grass and so on. Um, And then the other thing I would say the the fourth thing would be to make sure at least every day that you laugh, that you have something that makes you just like laugh till you're almost going to pee your pants. I think that's really, really helpful. I think of laughter is like the body's internal massage. Mm. So, and so um, I'm not sure there's many doctors that are prescribing laughter as one of their treatment <laughs> protocols. Well, you know, that's what Norman Cousins did. You know, years ago he had developed a, um, he wrote a book about it. He developed a a serious arthritis problem, and I think it was arthritis, polymyalgia rheumatica, if I remember. But he, um, what he did was he would sit in in the hospital and he would watch uh, Laurel and Hardy. He'd watch, you know, movies that would just make him laugh. And that's kind of, he healed himself. He decided he just wasn't ready to be sick. And he went and lived another 20, 25 years, I think, on top of that. That book was um, called The Anatomy of an Illness. The Anatomy of an Illness by Norman Cousins. That's right. Boy, we are dating ourselves, aren't we, Ken? Yeah, we are, uh, though, uh, a classic and something that, that hasn't changed classic. at all. No, it's a, a great recommendation for people. Yeah. So well, that's Ken, what I would say. Um, uh, and Oh, and have as much loving sex as you can. Lots well, now, you know, this is a really, a, I, this is like a, uh, a children's show, so I guess we didn't do the <laughs> adult disclaimer. So, uh, um, hey, I'm in. I'll, I'll agree with that. I'm going to make sure <laughs> that uh, people that I know, meaning my wife, listens to this part of the show. Well, uh, right. You know, and interesting about that, uh, what's, don't go too uh, detailed, uh, doctor, but why is that important? Well, I think because um, there's something about that skin-to-skin contact of being intimate with someone who really loves you and who you love and who actually sees you, you know, who really gets you where gets you gets you at the deepest part of you. Um, mm. Plus, it's also a little aerobic workout. It's a little skin glistening, you know, and it's just fun. It's just, but it's one of those things that nurtures people's soul. Well. Uh, on that note, I could not better that whatsoever. <laughs> and uh, Kathy, of course, it's a delight. It's been a delight to have you on the show. So thank you for spending some time with us. My pleasure, Ken. It's always so great to see you, and I hope that I'll get to see you at an upcoming uh, event. 
Oh, I'm sure somewhere along the way. Well, podcast listeners, Secrets of Success listeners, you heard it here first. Dr. Kathy has had some recommendations in that last one. Just pay attention uh, to it. And, you know, I just encourage you that you would take responsibility, that you would take ownership of your overall wellness, your health, uh, that just because somebody says doesn't mean that that's what is, that you really do your research. And then reach out to Dr. Kathy. And it's drkathy, with an I, fry, F-R-Y, dot com. And maybe she has some um, solutions for you in your situation that apply to you, or maybe you have a loved one, a child, where you want to address some of those conditions that traditional uh, solutions have not helped you. Now, as I wind up every show, I ask, you know, if you're enjoying what we're doing, uh, please share, pass it on. If you can add a positive comment and whatever format you're listening to, iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, whatever the format, we always appreciate. And until next time, thank you for listening to the Secrets of Success podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. Thanks for exploring the secrets of success with us. If you want to keep the momentum going, log on to crgleader.com. Scroll to the bottom and sign up for our inspirational emails. You can also take your success to the next level by following us on Facebook and Twitter and connecting with Ken on LinkedIn. We hope you have a great week and look forward to you joining us next time for the Secrets of Success podcast with Dr. Ken Keyes.